Welcome to The Great Unlearn. Join me, your host, Cal, as we dive deep into understanding and undoing the programming within us. Let's find your inner truth for a life with newfound purpose and freedom. Get ready to question it all in The Great Unlearn. Welcome back to The Great Unlearn, and stay tuned for part two of my conversation with Makad Brooks. Well, as you mentioned, it was... It was the um, day three of the anti-racist challenge. And I sat down yesterday to do that practice. And I, I couldn't get the words out. I couldn't get the words down. And I, I would suggest to anyone to really join this, you know, the anti-racist challenge. And if you don't, then just try, try to write down what that talk would look like for your 12 year old. Yeah, try, and I, day, I froze. Day, day, day. I, yeah. I froze. Yeah. I just, I, I just, you know, and it's not to say I'm not going back to it, but I, I just, it just showed to me how, how out of touch I am from the black experience in, in the, in the here, you know, and, you know, what I've tried to do is to stay engaged when, in the past, you know, I think with the weaponization of the news, it's easy to just like turn the news off or never watch the news. Um, but I think I've seen that in doing that, it's, um, that's not helping. And it's not to watch the news. I've, I've started to follow influential people, you know, like yourself, like Sean King, um, Michael Beckwith, you know, who's a spiritual leader, obviously. Um, and some other people that are putting out some really good information to educate people on what's going on. And, um, when it seems like it's too much and it becomes overwhelming, it's like, I got to stay with it because that's when I've turned off before. And I think as men just allowing in whatever way that I can, in my position to feel what that pain is and in whatever form and not that I could ever do that, but rather than just bypass that, I think has really helped me start to get my bearings on what maybe it looks like for me to, to be in action. Um, so thanks for sharing that. I know that's not easy to go back there, but I think it's, it's really important for people to hear that um, from, from that place. You know, that it's, it's honest, it's real, it's your heart. And it's, and it's broken, you know, and I think we need to understand that all the things you talked about, I don't know, one friend of mine growing up with any of that happened to him if they didn't really, really, really fucking deserve it. And more times than not, everybody was kind of let off with a, not even a slap on the wrist. It's like, you fucking kids go home now, stay out of trouble. Listen, I've, I've had police come into my house, pull guns on me in LA. And uh, they didn't they didn't believe it was my house and wanted me to prove it. I've had police tell me that my neighbors don't like me, I should move. At gunpoint. I've had You ever, you ever think about, let me ask you a question and then, I, and then I'd like to answer that question myself. You ever, you ever think about if you could have dinner with anybody in space time, who would that be? Um, I thought about it a long time ago. Um, and it was, <laughs> 
it's changed. It, I haven't done that exercise in a, it, you know, it, within the last handful of years. And so I don't really have a good answer for that, but I'd love to hear what you land on for that. Well, the, the reason I asked, because there's a <clears throat> study done that who you, who, who you, the first person that comes to, to your mind is, is where your psychology is. Obviously, right? um, and After Ahmad Arbery, um, I, I wanted to have dinner with Ellie Wiesel. You know who Ellie Wiesel is? He wrote, yeah, yeah, he's written prolific writer from the Holocaust. Yeah, right. Romanian born, uh, died as an American citizen, but he, he wrote um, 56, 60 books, something like that. I read eight of them. Um, probably close to that. And he's my favorite writer. Like I would, I was, I don't know what it was. I, I would read his books. I started reading his books at 12, 13 years old. And um, they just touched me in such a way where I just felt like I was there. Right? I felt I could hear the violins. I could, I could like the way he would describe them. I was like, wow, it's amazing. I almost smell the train, smell the, the whatever he was describing. I could, there's something that spoke to me about his writing. And I have a lot of questions for him. And that first question I would ask him is, because a lot of the things that I'm dealing with and, and what I'm trying to focus on is the, the, specific, the specificity of black trauma. That we have a, a, a level of trauma that has never been addressed because that's not really been available to our community, one. And two, overwhelmingly, it's been looked at as weakness in our community. Because, um, you know, our grandparents didn't do that. We just got over it. Um, <clears throat> but I would, I would, I, I have a lot of questions because I'm a very sensitive person, as you know. And um, you know, I think you and I are peas in a pod in that way. Like we're 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 very in touch with the feminine, very, very oh like, yeah, uh, cry at the drop yeah. of a hat. <laughs> yeah, like, and and there's nothing wrong with that. There's a strength in that vulnerability. No doubt, I agree. Helps you get past things and helps you get over things that you really shouldn't carry because none of this is ours. None of this is yours. It's it's experiences that we have that we have to let go of. Um, and so I, I have some questions for Ellie. And I would say, when you notice the Romanian people, the German people, <clears throat> um, spewing hate about your, your kind, so much so that it was palpable in the ether, and that policies and structures and um, enforcement backed up that hate. How did you deal with the chronic stress of that? And then when you were ghettoized and not allowed to leave certain areas and you were uh, certain areas of the city that were easily blocked off, the water supply was easily, easily controlled, um, Population density was high, which we know scientifically causes uh, a, a lessening of the quality of life and the length of life and worse health and crime goes up. And then you were blamed for these scientific factors. How did you deal with the chronic stress of that? And then because there wasn't a lot of room to play, not, not there's no parks in the ghetto really. So like you guys run the street, hanging out, boys will be boys. Just, teenagers and the Romanians would walk by or the or the Germans would walk by and they would say oh those people how did you deal with the disrespect of them and then when you would walk out of your house and you would see your friends lying in a pool of blood having been killed in broad daylight by the Gestapo, for everybody to see in broad daylight, in the afternoon, in the middle of the street, in your neighborhood, while they stare at you and smile. And then the Gestapo makes up any excuse they want to about what he did four years ago, two years ago, six months ago, but nothing that afternoon. And that seems to be a good enough excuse for the Romanian people and the German people. 
You know, you knew he was a good guy. You knew he didn't deserve that. How'd you deal with the chronic stress of that? And then as more of your friends ended up like that, more of your friends ended up like that. How did you deal with the chronic stress of that? And then when they came to get you, when they loaded you into the buses to take you to the train, did you ask yourself a different question? Did you say, surely the good Romanian people, the good German people will stop this because they got to see what's happening. They got to see what's going on, right? Surely they'll put it into this, right? Yeah, of course. Because my, my voice has been muted so much that no one believes when I yell. No one believes that we're being scapegoated. No one believes that that guy didn't do anything. It's up for debate when it comes to my people. But surely the good Romanians, surely the good Germans will stop this from happening. And then when they didn't, and you got to the camps, and you realized no one was coming, did you ask yourself a different question? What should I have done differently? How loud should I, should I have rang that alarm? And then I would ask him one last question. I would ask him if he had any advice for me. Because he made it. He was able to tell that story. He's sitting here now, and I'd like to sit there when I'm his age. I'd like to help the person who's asking me the same question in the future. And then I would leave that dinner with a question for the world. If you could have helped Ellie in 1932, would you have? And if you would help him, why won't you help me? We don't have a word. That's the only difference here. You just don't have a word. But where does crippling oppression go? Where does it go when you when the voices are muted? Where does it go when those when those people are scapegoated? Where does it go when it's all oh, it's those niggas? Where does it go when they're all in the same community trapped in there and they can't get out by law? Where does it go? Where does it go when the police make up excuses for something somebody did months before, years before, but nothing that day? Where does it go? Where does it go when the hatred is in the ether so thick and so palpable that it hurts your children's ears? Where does it go? Not in 2021. Not in 2025. Where's it going 2030? Is it going 2035? What do I tell my kids? And that's what I'm trying to explain to people. Where does it go? Well, I love the the example because I think a lot of us have seen movies, read stories about the Holocaust. And it's like, how the fuck did that happen? And then the Americans came in, right? And the, the war and all that. It's like, okay. But what would you have done, you know, if you were there? Sadly, and the, the, Amer the Americans were partnered up with the, with the Nazis until the business didn't work out in the late 30s. Hmm. We paid for the war. You pay for the third job. American banks do. Those people never got in trouble. Those people had kids, and those people and those those kids are running things now. Same mentality. We just don't have a word for it yet. But Let's I talk. Yeah. 
Well, I was going to say, let's talk a little bit about your inspiration for the Church of Anti-Racism that you've started on Instagram. And what are you hoping to, what do you, you know, um, uh, yeah, what is the, the vision? Yeah. Well, it's like this. So if you look at the history of racism, as you know, because you read the book, it is a 15th century invention to make a Portuguese king feel better about his life. <laughs> hmm. um, and so let's, let's do a little history lesson. Very, very quick history lesson for people. Um, Prior to this Portuguese king, I think it was King Philip or King, I forget the guy's name. It's, it's, you can find it. It's like 1450 Portugal. You can look it up. Um, prior to him and his scribes writing that, um, basically writing everything that we believe about black skin right now was created by this regime. Um, demonic subhuman, savage, criminal, everything that we think about black skin right now was created in Portugal in the late 15th century. Why? Well, this king was a, was a human trafficker and he, he did it on an industrialized level. And so instead, and he was Catholic. So to absolve him of his sins on his deathbed, he had a scribe rewrite what he was doing. And what he said he was doing, he was saving um, people from Satan's last stronghold on the planet, which was Africa. Although the, the Roman, the, Rome, the, the reason we call Africa, Africa, is from the Roman word, Afrique, which means, <laughs> you're not gonna believe this. I won't which means because- The land free of cold and horror. The land without cold or horror. That's what it means. So why, so all, and the Romans knew that. And they interacted with Africa for centuries. But this Portuguese king who stole children for raping and working decided to change that story. And as one of the most powerful kings in Europe at the time, he was able to influence a lot of people that that was true. And then that, uh, that myth was perpetuated by an invention called the printing press. And the printing press all of a sudden allowed a scribe with esoteric knowledge speaking to 50 people to print 10,000 copies of it. So yes, the printing press during the Reformation, the Reformation brought two things, the printing press and um, the industrialization of commerce is a nice way of saying slave trade. <laughs> mm. So those two things grew together. The technology, first time in history where you could write one thing down and have 10,000 people read it, 500 people read it, 1,000 people read it and spread it, so on and so forth, repost, mm. right? It was their social media. Mm -hmm. And they were able to spread the truth on that. Martin Luther spread the truth on that. And other people decided to use it as propaganda and spread myths on that. Now, some of those people who used it as propaganda and spread myths on that were two of the largest companies in the world at the time, in 1600. The Dutch East Indian Company and the Dutch West Indian Company. These two companies founded the world stock market. What did they trade? I'll give you one guess. Ugh. Slaves. No. People. Hmm. They weren't slaves. They kidnapped people and turned them into slaves. And they normally kidnapped, the average age is 14 years old. Because you could fit more on the ship. You could feed them less. And then once you got them to where they were going, they could, they could work longer. But God forbid you put them in Europe because they're evil, they're beasts, they're savages. So we have to put them, give, put them far away in some strange land and give them some purpose and give them Jesus. And this is going to be good. This is good for them. 
So the Dutch East Indian Company, the Dutch West Indian Company were, were, were doing this, right? But their sailors started killing themselves. They had PTSD, jumping ship, because of what they had to do to these children. They were, co- they were coming back and, and, and telling stories of, of what they had to do, and they were committing suicide and doing their versions of mass shootings and that kind of stuff like that. And people started noticing. And the investors started pulling out, and the two largest companies in the world were being destroyed by, by, by the moral fabric of Europe at the time. So what did these two companies do? They used the new invention of the printing press to print this myth the Portuguese king had created. And they had scientists and doctors and philosophers quoted in these myths, in these pamphlets, to make 15th 15th and 16th century pirates feel better about what they were doing. Or sorry, uh, 16th and 17th century pirates and investors to feel better about what they were doing. And then that myth was saturated so quickly over Europe that it took on, um, it, it became a manifestation of what, what's, called, what's called in uh, in philosophy is Hume's problem, David Hume. Hume's problem says that human beings are afraid of the unknown. So if they're presented with something that they do not know, they, they correlate it to something that they do know, right? So what would you do if the prevailing wisdom at the time was that black was savage? Now, they didn't mean black skin. What did black mean in 1450? Black plague. Yep. Evil, close to Satan, darkness. They didn't mean white by white skin. They meant purity, close to God. So that's what they were saying, purity, evil. And so what you had was, getting back to Hume's problem, once this became the prevailing wisdom in Europe, it took less than 20 years for this for it to catch on, you must have been stupid. You weren't up on the latest. Uh, 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 you weren't up on the latest um, research if you didn't know that Africans were evil. If you didn't know that these people were beasts and problems, and 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 you know we should save them and and, and move them from one place to another so that we can pull them out of this savagery and Satan's grip, and we can make some money off of it too. That is where it comes from. So because of (laughs) the printing press helping the industrialization of commerce, I I look at the world, this is why we have the world we have today. So the last pulse of consciousness that we've had was the Reformation. And the Reformation brought the printing press and it brought the industrialization of commerce. Those two things went together because they printed the myth of blackness being evil, which helped the industrialization of commerce. People didn't feel so bad about it. And then by the time people looked up again, it was just the prevailing wisdom that this was true. And nobody questioned it because they didn't want to feel stupid or afraid. Mm -hmm. Psychology. So I look at the world as pulses of consciousness. Pulses of consciousness lasted in, in, in between 300 and 400 years, right? Before the Reformation, you had the Renaissance, right? Those brought in two different things. Like so, the Reformation increased women's role in society. It increased um, knowledge and myth and propaganda. It was the first time propaganda was widely spread. But what do we have now? We have social media. That's our printing press. Yeah. And anytime you have an explosion of consciousness. You create something new. You create a new way to expose that consciousness to other people, but also propaganda to other people. Mm-hmm. But if truth wins out, so here's the thing. No matter what happens, the printing press, the invention itself from the new consciousness will create some a boom in the economy, which will create a boom in another market. Always does. Always will. Always has. Even through, even through Stone Age economics, it always has. It's whether that piece of technology is commandeered by the truth or whether it's commandeered by propaganda depends on the next three to 400 years of existence. I'm just trying to make sure 
that the next three to four hundred years of existence is based in truth. Because the last three to four hundred years has been based in a great lie. It's caused, it's caused a great amount of pain and a great amount of decimation to half the world. Stand on the equator facing west. Look to your right. Every country you see to your right is doing just fine. Like there's a lot of systemic problems, a lot of sociological problems, but they're not broke. First world, football stadiums, paved roads, fresh water, you know, food supply, medical supply, everything's fine. Look to your left. Anywhere in the world, anywhere in the world, decimated. Because of the pulse of consciousness of the Reformation, because of the spreading of the propaganda through the new technology, which helped spark uh, commerce through propaganda. I want to spark commerce through kindness. I want to spark a kindness revolution. I want to spark a cooperation revolution. I want to start a love revolution. We have not thought in this consciousness yet that we can create markets on kindness, that we can create markets on repair. What if we did reparations to the entire African diaspora? What would that look like? Well, you'd have a world boom. A world boom. The Caribbean is all about tourism. Putting that hands into the hands of the people who were decimated by, by the reformation would just create more hotels. <laughs> just create, it would just create more, more ships, more yachts, more fun, more restaurants. Putting that, putting that money into the black uh, economy in America would just make me a job creator. And I would hire everybody. Well, it's the simple fact that with the, the, what we saw with, the coronavirus and COVID-19 was that our government just scratched a check for $3 trillion. Just like you motherfuckers been sitting on this all along and what crazy, that bro. could do. Like, I can't believe it. Okay. So, so here's the, the estimate of what the U S government would owe us just based on the treaty that they broke with the black Americans would be $4 trillion. They just coughed up two, two rounds of like 6 trillion in all. Right. So three trillion, three trillion. They're like, oh, we sure. don't have it. We don't have it. We don't have it. COVID. Here you go. What? So you got to look. You got to look at that because it's like it's not like it's not like just because people don't know our history doesn't mean we don't know our history. Doesn't mean that we don't know that 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 it's not reparations. It's a return on investment. It's a return on some blood and sweat equity from building the country, from building the entire northern hemisphere around the world. This, this, we have a chance to repair things. And I, and I really do believe that this is a pulse of consciousness. We have the Reformation. I, I believe that this is something called the Great Repair. I believe that we have the opportunity. Um, we've been given the greatest spiritual invitation that mankind has ever known. That we have been given the opportunity to, to repair the consciousness, not just of America, but of the entire world. The entire world benefited from the consciousness of the Reformation using propaganda in new technology to spark a new type of economy. What if we used our new technology with truth to spark a new boom in the world economy? One that was fair, one that was needed, one that was, one that was reparative. Like Africa is decimated. 1.4 billion people, the most, the, the most natural resources in the world, but they're being siphoned out because of the pulse of consciousness that we had in the Reformation. What if you gave those people control again of their own space? They don't want to keep people out. They want business. They want, they, want, they want to be first world. Nigeria is 80 million people. We're not selling products to Nigeria like we could be because we don't, they don't really fuck with us. And why would they? Like we're 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 we got to think differently about what the next hundred years could look like, what the next three hundred years could look like. We're all coming back. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're all we're all coming back. So like, if we want to do this, if we want to keep fighting the same fucking fight for two hundred years and three hundred years, and then your next your next year life you come and you're like, God damn, I'm still doing this shit. 
damn, this is crazy. Why am I still fighting? Why am I still fighting this Portuguese king's idea? What? This is crazy. (laughs) Tell me this. This may sound like a silly question. It's not a silly question. Your your, um, understanding and knowledge of history, and I know you could, obviously you need to know your history, but you know your history. You know the history so well. How long have you been... You have to have a deep interest in it to know it as well as you do. Like, what What was there a moment that you're like, I need to fucking know this? Or did just just something you've always picked up and you've always read about and it's always... Well, the sad part is this. This is the sad part. A lot of black people know this. Mm. It's called black history. Yeah. We have black history because they took this part out of the history so that so that white people, good, well-meaning white people, would be like, why are these motherfuckers so angry? Why are they so upset? Why are they so decimated? Why? Well, it, it was the program. It was the system. <laughs> so uh, a lot of people don't know about, I mean, like, I, I, I don't know anybody else who's speaking publicly about the next pulse of consciousness, but I think, I think your listeners... They can feel it. Yeah. They feel the invitation to consciousness. They feel it. And I think people I think are starting to call this the, the awakening and or whatever you want to call it. But, but I, I think where do you go with that awakening? And you and I think where you go with that awakening is you spend the next couple of decades, the next few decades, the next century repairing what the last 500 years has done to the world. And that, that's not to say that that your life is going to change at all. It just means my children's life is going to change. And that's great. That's a good thing. That means that, listen, I, I have, and, I, and I'll, I'll be honest. I'll be 100% honest. If this country didn't hate me, I would have already been financed for two different apps, for sure. For sure. I was in a, I was in a tech meeting one time, and they were so close to giving me $30 million. And they just wanted to know who I was partnering up with. And I was just like, well, I just really haven't gotten that place yet. No, 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 that's on and so forth. And um, we had a series of meetings, a series of meetings. And it finally got down to the place where I got really friendly with them. And I said, let me ask you a question. Right, British guy. I go, are you trying to get me to partner up with a white guy or Indian? You keep trying to get me to partner up with a white guy and Indian guy. And like, who doesn't even understand the app, really? Every time I meet these people, they don't really get what it is. And you're trying to make sure that I partner up with them. And I was like, is this a race thing? And like, you're, you're my buddy. Just tell me. Just straight up. He's like, not for me, but for other people it is. So where would we be if we didn't make, if we didn't um, mass incarcerate people who could be changing the economy for us? <laughs> where would we be if we weren't kidnapping kids who might cure cancer we're not we're, we're not optimizing ourselves we're not optimizing our society we're, 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 we're it's really crazy that our tax dollars are going to um, limiting ourselves and our potential as a country and that is a consciousness issue that I think needs to either die out or people have to be willing to to do the great unlearn as it mm, were. Well played. <laughs> well played. How about That's how about this? For, you uh I mean it seems maybe it just is so obvious, but with what happened with the shelter in place and certainly in New York City it was a big deal. But even in Austin it was you know, everybody was, was, I would say was very observant of it, but do you think that that kind of lockdown and that really could be considered house arrest for an extended period of time? Do you think because of that and then, you know, what happened with Ahmaud Arbery and then obviously um, Breonna Taylor and then George Floyd was like the last thing is like, do you think if we weren't in this situation, if everybody was like business as usual, do you think we'd be where we are today or would it just have been another 
thing that got overlooked? Because I would say, you talk about consciousness, the collective consciousness was fucking, has been on edge for a while. And I know that I felt, um, even though my personal situation here in Austin has not been affected, and I <laughs> felt very fortunate about that, but there have been moments where I've felt a deep heaviness where I can't locate it with anything that's happening within my little family circle. But when I looked around, I felt this, this, whatever you want to call it, a density or whatever, just, it was just super heavy. And I couldn't, I couldn't understand it other than the collective right now is not good. It's not healthy. It's living in fear. It's pointing fingers. People are taking sides. No one knows what the fuck's going on and no one's telling the truth. Some people are trying, but there are bad actors out there. And so all this was, to me, it was like this fever pitch and then it was finally, that was the match. What are your thoughts? I did a podcast maybe three months ago about, about um, so funny. Like, you know, you know Corey Allen? Yes, I, yeah. Corey, Corey's was going to be coming out soon, but he's been pushed back in lieu of you. So I love Corey. So, uh, but, but I will but, say this, by the way, you and I were supposed to talk in December or January and it uh, didn't work out. And I am so grateful that, We've waited for this. It, it's just the way oh, things yeah, have yeah. lined up because this is such an important conversation for me, for my listeners, and um, I'm, I'm grateful to kind of hand over the mic to you. So anyway, I just wanted to make sure I acknowledge that. But yeah, so you were with Corey three months ago. Yeah, or maybe two months ago or something like that. We, we, we actually talked about what I thought this was, and it's funny that if you listen to that podcast, it's, it's like we, did, we recorded it yesterday. No. And... Um, you know, I mean, like you know me, brother. Like I, I, I get, I get, I get a lot of messages from the universe. I channel a lot. Like I channel every night. From Explain that for for people, because you've talked about lately. You know that you've been up into the wee hours of the morning because you've been in that space, that channeling space with your ancestors. So just kind of for my audience, it's it's a little different from Aubrey's, where if you you know what I mean. Like it's not necessarily right. wrapped in that, and so maybe just kind right, of land right. it for people. Fine. Yeah. Um, so we all have uh, uh, a connection to our ancestral experiences through our DNA. Uh, if you don't believe that, that's okay. Um, that just means that you need to take a look at epigenetics and how that works. There's a great book um, called It Didn't Start With You that, that I think is a great um, place for people to really get in touch with that. So I highly recommend that. I think it's Mark Wallen wrote that book. So. I'll, check, I'll check it out myself too. Um, but so we all, we all understand ancestral trauma. Um, I think people are starting to wrap their heads around the fact that there is a thing called ancestral guilt. I think that, um, we, we feel these things. I think that we, perfect example, your DNA knows what color you are. Hmm. It has memory. Hmm. <laughs> it knows how your hair is supposed to be. It knows how the color your eyes are. Da, 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 da. It, it, your DNA carries carries imprints from the ancestors. That's why you look the way you do. That's why you sound the way you do. That's why you have the thoughts that you have. You know, they're influenced by the DNA. Period. That's just that's just what it is. And, and then whatever happens to you in that life, epigenetics says that the genes in the DNA will express themselves in certain ways based on the experiences you have in your life. So kind of a, you a, are, a nurture type element, would, would you say? Right. It turns nurture, genes nurture, off and yeah. on. Yep. Precisely. So if you, um, if you are aware of ancestral trauma, if you're aware of, of, of the fact that you look the way that you do because of the DNA, right, then you can understand this. There's also ancestral wisdom. There's also ancestral magic. There's also ancestral connections. And I ask my ancestors to come to me. It's just that simple. Do you invoke, a, I know I, a lot of people invoke a prayer or they'll, is there, is there, how do you get uh, prepared for that? that? How do you invite? That, that was given to me. Like, so like I, I, I was at Burning Man and I, I just, I, it was the 400 year anniversary of the first African-American to step foot on what, what became Virginia. 
August 30th, 1619. It says August 30th, 2019. And I, I just asked my ancestors to come and, and, and show me their pain and come through me and, and um, whatever they wanted to show me. And they, they took this one ancestor came to me, took me on a ride, took me on a ride. Took me on his whole story, and he's he's still with me. He's with me all the time, and he, he supports me. And um, he's given he, he gave me he gave me the rite of passage, which is which is uh, and I I'll share it with people. I don't really care, because um, I, I think that here's the thing: everybody's ancestors want them to heal, and we all need to heal together. That's what this is. We're, we're giving the opportunity to be the greatest generation in human history and heal each other together. That's what's actually happening, right? So, um, my ancestor told me to say this. I invoke the right to my ancestral wisdom. I invoke the right to my ancestral magic. I invoke the right to take the energy that the captures brought to my ancestors and use it and transmute it as love. There's a little more to that, but that's what I got. And I said it, I said it to myself over and over again. I did it at a full moon. I burned it and I buried it. And my ancestors come to me every night, tell me new stories. They, they, they tell me things I should say sometimes. Like they, I channel them. I've also been able to figure out, because also listen, like, so space time is not linear. It's a ball. I think interstellar proved that to people, right? And that as soon as you figure out how to m maneuver in that sphere of, of, of dimensionality, um, you can also, why not make your mentor your optimized self at 65? So that's my mentor. Mm. So my, my 65 year old self and my ancestors are all kind of leading me in this, in this, in this process. And, um, that's that's what I mean when I'm when I'm saying I'm channeling. Um, but now I forget why we're talking about that. <laughs> it's all good. Let's well let's let's talk about um, one of your new ventures as oh, well. You 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 were gonna you were gonna ask me about COVID and the whole thing. Oh so, yeah 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 yeah. The, and you talked about your brought, episode with Corey Allen. Yeah, the, the astral hustle. Yeah, the reason I brought that up is because of the connection. So I'm no longer being bashful about my connection to the universe just because. It seems hard to comprehend. I, I I can't comprehend it sometimes. It is what it is. But when COVID first happened, I got I got very clearly that this is a renegotiation with the with the divine feminine. The divine. I remember, feminine. I remember hearing from you after this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Beautiful. Right. And the divine, yeah, the divine feminine spirit um, uh, acknowledged with Gaia that we we as humankind had failed the original agreement, which was to, that she would nurture us, she would take care of us, and that we would then take care of her as, as, um, as a, as a, as a, as a um, conscious being in and of herself. And so she got, she's getting really tired of us disrespecting her, so she hit pause. And she hit, she didn't hit pause because she wanted to have cleaner air, or this or that she died, or so on and so forth. She wanted her children to stop fighting. Because until her children stop disrespecting each other, we cannot cooperate. We cannot solve climate change. We cannot stop industrialized war. We can't. The conflict is very profitable for some people. But it's not good for her. It's not good for Mother Earth. It's not good for the rest of us. So she wanted us to stop fighting. And she gave us a chance to stop fighting. And so how do you do that? Well, you bring people back together with their families. Mm -hmm. you take away all their distractions and all their responsibilities. You say, sit your ass at home. And I'm going to scare you. And what do we do? We got scared of, of life. Oh, my God, I might lose my life at any point in time. And then we became selfish as fuck, um, evidenced by the, the the great toilet paper riot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And then and then and then what happened? Everything calmed down, and we weren't working as much. We were working from home, and then the the, the, the essential workers were still working, and then our leadership 
was falling apart, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened. And all of a sudden, we were in this state of, of fight, of fight and flight, all of us for two months or so. And what the beautiful part about that was that there was so much compassion that came out of that fight and flight that people like you, who always just said, well, I'm not racist, said, wait, my brother Makad is in fight and flight all the time? He feels like I did the last two months for the last 39 years or the last 31 years because that's what, as soon as the cop hit, hit me, that's what happened. Like always looking over your shoulder, especially if you see a badge, right? Mm. So all of a sudden, people who weren't paying attention, not that they had time to pay attention, but they had time to find compassion mm -hmm. for what they saw. They had time to find compassion for what they were aware of and what they felt themselves. And when COVID's all over and, now it's all, and that's all said and done, you know, you guys get to go back to your lives where, you, where your stress levels go down and your cortisol levels go back to normal. We don't. We, we never will without your help. And that is, that is there's the, I, call, I call it COVID compassion. Mm. <laughs> and it's, it's, I think it's been activated in a lot of people. So like, you know, we, we were just worried about survival, yeah. you know, as a country, as a world. And then you realize that there's 40 million Americans who are always doing that. Always. We're always doing that. Like 24 hours a day. Ask Breonna Taylor. You can be laying in your bed. Ask Boham John. He was sitting on his couch eating ice cream. Ask Trayvon Martin. He was walking to the store getting Skittles and a lemonade and, a, and an iced tea. Yeah. So I think it's it's not that. And that's why I don't blame white people. I don't, I'm not like, oh, you guys are fucking, blah, blah, blah. I'm not, I'm not that guy. I'm like, you never had the opportunity based on the system that was put at, that was laid at all of our feet. You never had the opportunity to have compassion for my situation because you never felt it. And once you felt it for two months, you decided to do something about it. For real, yeah. Like I'm not even like I'm like okay, cool. This this is okay, cool. Got it. And that's what it took. Guy said, "It's the, the conversations are dumb. Like y'all saying all Black Lives Matter because they don't, and y'all saying all lives matter because you don't want to talk about it." Exactly. Change. Y'all are saying that. Y'all are saying yeah. Y'all are saying this because it's true, and y'all are saying this because y'all don't want to talk about it. You keep changing the subject. Well, the guy goes, well, can you change the subject when you feel it? Mm -hmm. Can you ignore it when you feel it? And there's so many people who stepped up because they're like, I know I don't want my kids to feel like that. I know I don't want to feel like that. And if there's other people who feel like that 365 days a year, we got to do something. And I think that that's I think that that's what it was. It was a perfect storm of what she wanted. She 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 doesn't want to get rid of us. She will. She'll just shrug us off like a bunch of fleas if we keep fucking around. Mm -hmm. But she wants to give us a chance. And the feminine spirit is giving us a chance. The more compassionate, intuitive spirit is giving us a chance to correct this, to repair. Well, and we've lived in a world for so long that has been not just masculine for the men, but the women have have had to take on that role, unfortunately, a lot to feel like they can have to survive that way. And it's been such an imbalance that right. it's important that we start to, that men, you know, like you and I, masculine, show up masculine, but also integrate that feminine and to say, look, there's another way. And, and listen, having that mentality, that masculine mentality, it, it served me well. I, I, you know, had the financial success and did those things. And so I'm not saying you're not supposed to have any of it. You have both, mm -hmm. but it needs to be integrated mm -hmm. and right. it needs to be right. brought out and um, right. championed really. And so I, you know, I, yeah. So, and, and I, I know we're, 
it's it's where it's, it was such a long fight. <laughs> like, and people are like, my commute's over. I'm done. You bring me home. <laughs> but but um, I'll say this, and then we can we can hop off. I gotta hop on another call because I'm creating a a black trauma protocol actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I'll say this too because you just brought up a, a very interesting point. If you can understand what people meant by me too, right? Don't dominate me. Then you can understand Black Lives Matter. And I'll put it to you like this. When the, meet, when the people in the Me Too movement were saying toxic masculinity, right? That was a non-starter. You didn't want to have that conversation. Like, Cal, you're not toxic because you were born a man. God, I'm not toxic because I was born a man. What they mean is, or I, I think what they mean is, I don't know, but I think what they mean is, I'm not trying to mansplain it to anybody. <laughs> I think what, I, this is a non-mansplaining they, podcast. Fantastic. <laughs> so l- l- let me interpret it in the way that I received the criticism in my life. Is that we're all on a sexist spectrum. Because we were raised in a sexist society with sexist images and sexist delivery systems and sexist policies and, and sexist mm-hmm. sociological structures, right? Sexist ideas. So we're all on a sexist spectrum. So it's not toxic. It's just you are a product of where you were raised. Period. Done. That's what it is. So when we talk about privilege, when we talk about white privilege, the conversation normally happens from an angry standpoint or a a pointing a finger standpoint or whatever the case is, accusatory standpoint, I should say. And there's nothing to be accused of. You're just, you're, you were born that way. <laughs> it's not a bad thing. It's your human experience. So I would say this to your white listeners, which I'm sure most of them are. <laughs> I think that's a safe fucking bet. <laughs> um which here's the thing, which is great because it's like that was a racist thing for me to say, but we can laugh, right? Yeah, like yes. No, no, so I'm saying like we should, we should, yeah, be yeah. To Like no, no one's saying you. I'm gonna police your fucking thoughts. No, exactly. That's not what we're, saying. we're not yeah, saying, that. We're that. saying that. We're saying we're saying stop the oppression. It's a, yes. it's a fucking difference. Oh, right. I love that. So yeah, I'll, I'll I'll leave you with this. I'll leave you with this. The conversation around privilege should change, and here's why. If you run from your human experience, you cannot embrace your human experience. If you cannot embrace your human experience, you cannot use it as currency. You cannot use it effectively. So embrace the privilege. Understand what it is. Stand in your human experience without without apology. And say, you know what, you're right, I do have privilege. I have power, I have money. I have position. I have a voice that's not that's unmuted. I have access. I have all these different things. And because I have all these different things, in the world that we have been born into, I have more power than you. So what will I do with that? What will I do with the truth of my human experience? Will I help others uh, end oppression? Or will I put my head in the sand and say, hey, everything's fine. Got my Amazon packages coming. Beautiful. Yeah. That's what it's about. That's really what it's about. Before we get off, I wanna I, I want you just in a nutshell to talk about your new podcast, New Agreements. When are you hoping yeah. to launch that? Uh paperwork's paperwork the ink's drying on paperwork now, so we're just um, figuring out some logistics. It's supposed to be going to LA and, and, and recording it, but I don't think it's gonna happen now, so we'll see. Okay. Um, and so yeah, in the fun. the idea behind it, new agreements, yeah. Yeah, it's called New Agreements, and it's just, more, long story short, it's just about the fact that we were all forcibly integrated into uh, inherited agreements that were born of the consciousness of the Reformation. So I was born black, meaning that the cops will attack me when I'm eight. But I never agreed to that. I was born black, so a lot of people will look at me and, and uh, distrust my voice or police my tone or police my mentality, I don't agree to that. Um, Somebody else's, uh, um, you know, 
overweight and people think that they want to lose weight and, da, 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 da. and there's a certain aspect of how people think about them. Well, they didn't agree to that. Maybe they enjoy it. Maybe they enjoy eating how they eat and living how they live. You were born a white man. And there's many agreements that come with that, good and bad, depending on uh, the, how society is rolling at the time. And you, there's certain things that you can go, well, there's a lot of great things about being born a white man in America. And there's a couple of things that aren't so great. And, and, and some of the things that aren't so great, actually, is that um, the game has been rigged so badly that we don't even know what we're capable of through cooperation. Mm-hmm. And that's an agreement. It's an agreement that white men should try to change. There's money, there's money floating out there right now that's not in your pocket because of those agreements. There's beautiful friendships waiting to be had that aren't being had because of those agreements. There's beautiful partnerships and new technology and new businesses and, and, and new pathways of, of AI and, and, and future and, and, and um, future markets that haven't been explored because of old agreements. So it's really just about separating your life into three types of agreements. The original agreement, which is the soul and the body made the agreement to exist. Why? Why in this space time? What are you here for? What's the purpose? You have consciousness, so what's purpose? Second, are chosen agreements. Cal, you chose to be a trader. You chose to be a podcaster. You chose to have a family. Those are beautiful agreements. You chose these. And, and, and whatever consequences that you, um, or experiences that, that, that uh, are born of those agreements are fair because you chose those. Mm-hmm. And then there's the inherited agreements, which we spend most of our lives <sighs> wasting our time fighting instead of just dropping and letting go. So that's what it's about. Establishing new agreements for the 21st century based in kindness and inclusion. Awesome. Where can people find you? Uh, you can find me mostly, I mean, I spend my life on Instagram at this point yeah, trying, to, <laughs> trying to preach this, trying to preach this message and, and started a 21 day anti-racist challenge. So that's taking up a lot of time, but mostly Instagram right now with, you know, Makad Brooks, M-E-H-C-A-D, B-R-O-O-K-S. And, um, and Church of Anti-Racism also on Instagram. And um, yeah, so brother, I'm just, you know, trying to bring us forward, just trying to help the consciousness forward. That's it. By, by the way, I wanted to say, I, I, you look uh, healthier than I've seen you recently. Have you gotten some rest and been able to have some self-care? Yeah, yeah man. It, Good, it you were running, running, yeah, a lot. You were. Yeah, it was tough. But okay. but at the same time, same time, my ancestors told me um, not to hide the severity of the pain because yeah. I think that one, I think that people who who aren't accustomed to how much pain being black is need to see that because we hide it, yeah. we hide how painful it is because we don't want to come off as weak. Mm. And two, especially as a man, um, right? Especially the man. Yeah. And to, and I've lost a lot of friends. I lost a lot of, of romantic interest because of that. <laughs> yeah, so I cull the herd a little bit. It is what it is. Yeah. And um um and two, uh I want to I wanted to inspire others who look like me to not hold it in because it it, 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 it will kill me. Yep. You know, like you're holding something in that's so traumatic and that's not yours. Crying at your dinner table by yourself is not how we do this anymore. We can't do it like that anymore. So uh, it's been really cathartic, and I've you know I I I watched George Floyd die for the first time on on Instagram Live. You know, I wanted people to see me see it, mm. and um, and I I posted it and said what I wanted to say, and um, I think people. You know, I've gotten a lot of messages from people saying, you know, I'm so happy you did that because, you know, I, I, I realize that this is a mental health concern for me. Like, I can't, I need help. Like, like I'm I'm walking around on Wednesday and I'm fine. And then Thursday afternoon, I'm on the floor crying. I have no idea why. I go, you know why. <laughs> you know why. You're black. That's why. Like, that's, that's why. 
and uh, America, they, America makes it really hard on us. They really do. Uh, this, the, the, the country's policies and the country's enforcement makes it really hard on us. Well, thank you. Thank you. For, I mean, it's thank amazing. Thanks for everything you shared today. I'm so grateful. It, Thanks for the voice. Thanks yeah, for man. the holding space for the voice, man. Yeah. I love you, brother. Love you too, man. Thank you. All right. And thank you so much for all the help you've been giving me lately. I appreciate it. Yeah. My pleasure. You've been listening to The Great Unlearn. For more information, please check out the show notes or head on over to thegreatunlearn.com for additional episodes and information regarding events and retreats. If you liked what you heard today, click subscribe and share this with friends that might enjoy our platform. Please leave a five-star rating in iTunes as this really helps us spread our message. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at BunkerCal and on Facebook as John Callahan. Thanks for listening to The Great Unlearn and we'll talk soon.